Big Banks Innovate. I'm Dominic O'Neill, Euromoney's EMEA editor. In these two episodes for Euromoney Podcasts, part of our Banking on Fintech series, I'm going to be speaking to some of the top names in the industry about that question of whether big banks really can drive innovation, both in their existing businesses and to create new ones. I'll be hearing about the sorts of approach banks are taking to improve, some of the pitfalls to avoid, and some of the success stories. Now, the problem with big banks are well known. Even more than in other sectors of the economy, there's an image of an incumbent banking industry that's struggling to keep up with the disruptors, tied down by old practices and technology and short-termism at the top. Compared to other industries, innovation can be harder in banking incumbents. They're heavily regulated, especially since 2008, and for good reason. That means financial supervisors will want to know about their every move, especially when it comes to things that are untested, likely to lose money even in the medium term, and potentially to cause harm to consumers. But is regulation just an excuse? It certainly hasn't stopped banks putting more time and money into innovation in recent years, whether it's startup incubators, doubling down on their own venture capital funds, or increasingly setting up new ventures of their own. As fintech challenges have grown in customer numbers and funding, there's a new feeling of urgency to all this. More than 20 years ago now, in the late 90s, Management consultants at McKinsey came up with what they called the three horizons of growth in established companies. This sets out the necessary different ways of running an incumbent, the three horizons to look at concurrently to maintain growth without losing the cash cows on which the business is based. Despite the huge amount of technological and societal change since the 90s, many still see McKinsey's ideas as relevant. ING's head of corporate strategy, Jerome Plack, tells me the bank follows the three horizons in its innovation function, ING Neo. And even if they don't cite McKinsey, others see innovating inside a big bank in a similar way. This is the view from Marikit Corcorum, Chief Innovation Officer at Barclays. I think there's a clear delineation. There's, here's what you need to do to keep your businesses running, right? And that could be day-to-day, daily innovation enhancements to your business. But how do you make sure your business will exist in 10 to 15 years? So I don't necessarily think that's drastic innovation, but that's being open to new technologies and offerings, right? Customers are changing every day. They're going to want different things. Clients want different things. You can't just keep offering the same thing over and over and making it a little bit better. Most people, even inside the banks, will tell you that established banks find it much easier to do the first than the second sort of innovation, the one most relevant for their longer term survival. Marcos Zacariadis, fintech chair at Alliance Manchester Business School, says some banks are at the forefront of implementing cloud technology in their back offices, for example, or sometimes coming up with cutting-edge user interfaces on their apps. He says they're less good at more radical innovations, things like peer-to-peer lending, because it could disrupt their existing businesses. But there's a growing number of senior people inside big banks insisting that they can and must build genuinely new businesses based on new technologies, sometimes targeting customers they've overlooked. Alex Manson, CEO of SC Ventures, talks to me about Standard Chartered's investment of around $400 million to set up 30 new companies since 2008, including Hong Kong Neobank, Mox and Solve, an e-commerce platform for SMEs in India and Africa. I believe it is existential. For, for any financial institution today. 
in order to appreciate it, I think you you want to take a step back from from just FIs or banks and and look at the you know the, the history of business generally speaking. Um, businesses are generally speaking good at becoming more efficient and investing in technology in order to drive better throughput. Um, you know, sell more things to more people at a lesser price, more efficiently, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, so, so, so those things are typically well owned by the corporate organization. Established corporate organizations are less good at business model innovation because the business model innovation in question is typically going to collide with their own, or at a minimum, be inconsistent with the existing business model. And so, therefore, the corporate organization isn't set up. To, to, to do that kind of innovation inside itself. It's not a question of people not wanting it to happen or, or being resi- or resisting changes. It's really a question of, of, of setup and, and sometimes mindsets. But according to Manson, innovation and growth are not diametrically opposed to managing a regulated entity like a bank, as some people think. He argues the understanding of operating in a regulated environment something fintech players often lack, is actually one of the bank's biggest advantages as a builder of innovative businesses. It's a myth we have to debunk, right? So take regulation as a proxy for trust in society. And I certainly hope that innovation is not inconsistent and incompatible with trust in society and regulations. And certainly this is also what what we aim to demonstrate. So, so, so the objective clearly is, is to innovate and do things differently and serve clients better in, in a way that is uh, trustworthy, reliable, um, safe, and, uh, and compliant with whatever regulations are relevant. So, so, so that's you know, the premise. I spoke to Vanessa Colella about this in early 2022, just before she left her job as City's Innovation Officer to take up a similar role at Visa. She too answered that big banks are not fundamentally disadvantaged in fintech compared to new or more specialized companies. It's just that their advantages are different. No matter what industry you're in, my view is that uh, when you compare large incumbents to small startups, there are advantages and disadvantages of both. Uh, right. So when, you, when you're a small startup, you have the advantage of, of starting from a blank piece of paper, um, designing what, what you'd like to design. To your point, often um, you know, the best startups are maniacally focused on solving a particular problem. That problem might be you know, in the payment space. It might be in the receivable space. It might be um, you know, even just in something about you know, consumer experience. Um, the, you know, the disadvantage is that, that you're focused on one particular issue. You probably don't have either the global brand, the distribution, the global network, the client base of an incumbent like a city. It's partly in recognition of these respective advantages that more banks are now trying to build fintech ventures, either to keep in-house or to spin out and potentially to IPO. Like in other industries, venture building is becoming a big thing at the innovation departments at incumbent banks. Chinese insurance group Ping An is one inspiration, especially in Asia. Over the past decade, Ping An has made a name for itself by using earnings from its incumbent insurance business to launch new digital ventures like Good Doctor and Lufax. Both of these have done IPOs worth over a billion dollars. 
There are also similarities to the way big tech companies like Google and Amazon have sprouted portfolios of businesses like Amazon Web Services, Google Maps, and Gmail. But can this approach work at big banks and in developed markets? City was one of the first to try when it set up D10X in 2015 to help in-house entrepreneurs build businesses by leveraging links to its consumer and wholesale business. The results have included proxy voting firm Proximity, set up by two people in its custody department, and Onward, a financial management app for divorced or separated parents. City has since spun out both of these, although City Ventures remains an investor. City Ventures is one of the oldest and biggest bank-owned venture capital funds. It's invested in more than 100 companies since its founding in 2010. But Colella says it wasn't enough just to be taking minority stakes in companies set up by outsiders, which is why they set up D10X. And the reason that we started it was we were so embedded in the external ecosystem and, and watching entrepreneurs who had amazing aspirations about how they could change financial services and improve you know, product delivery for individuals, for businesses, for communities. And, and we sort of looked and said, you know, that's great. And we absolutely want to support that external ecosystem. At the same time, we have hundreds of thousands of employees at City, many of whom have deep expertise and understanding of the pain points that our clients experience each and every day. And our employees also want to change financial services for the better. Uh, but you know, we, we live in a, a very highly regulated environment where employees can't just come to work and say, gee, I want to run a new experiment today, right? You know, it, that's not what our clients expect of us. They expect us to be predictable and repeatable. And so we designed 10X uh, as a way to allow employees to explore their ideas without introducing any incremental risk to ourselves at City or to our clients. City is, of course, not the only bank to have a venture capital fund and what you might call an entrepreneur program to build on ideas generated from inside the bank. What makes a difference at some banks, though, is the level of determination to award ideas from their own staff, the resources and independence to really make a go of it. ING set up its labs program in 2015 and its labs in Amsterdam and Singapore operate as accelerators for its own initiatives. The lab in Amsterdam gave rise to a bank account aggregator, YOLT, which launched in the UK the following year. It's almost become a cliche that fintech offshoots from big banks end up failing. Many people in Europe will point to the digital flanker brand launched by NetWest, Bo, that closed after less than six months in 2020. Some people also point to JP Morgan Chase's flanker brand, Finn, in the US. Angie's Yolt, alas, also did not work as a consumer business. ING closed the app in 2021, although Yolt Technology Services continues to operate as a banking software platform. But there are better examples. Plaque, who oversees ING's innovation function, points to its shopping platform, DealWise, which also grew out of ING Labs starting in Romania. DealWise launched early last year in Germany as part of ING's app. So is it fair to focus on the failures? Doing so might fit into predetermined ideas about big banks, and it's certainly true that companies with deep pockets have the capacity to put too much money into pet projects. But of course, failures 
when they're recognised as such early on, could be a good thing if it shows the banks are trying to do new things. Black says ING has become better at exiting ventures lately, including if it doesn't fit into one of what ING calls its value spaces, like housing and financial health. And we've become much stricter in killing ideas earlier because we believe they're not capable of pivoting. Uh, the market opportunity is too small. It doesn't really hit one of the value spaces or we don't have the right people to make this uh, scale fast. Uh, uh, so then we decide to, uh, yeah, to move on uh, and focus on other stuff. And that's really worked and it's helped. And it shows that the company as well that we're focusing and that we're not trying to innovate for the sake of innovation. We're innovating to improve the customer experience. Meanwhile, other banks have recently added much more resources into venture capital funds, into building new ventures, sometimes in ways reminiscent of Ping An and others. Standard Chartered is one of them. The philosophy that big incumbent banks need to be bolder about building sometimes radically different businesses is very much part of what Manson is doing at SC Ventures. It is an integral part of Group CEO Bill Winters' recent proposition that Standard Chartered can grow its customer numbers by five times by the middle of this decade. New digital ventures and partnerships should help the firm move beyond its traditionally higher-end focus and move more towards mass retail and small businesses. Yet Manson says these ventures will only work if they're both inside and outside the bank, so they benefit from the group's advantages but have enough independence not to be held back by its disadvantages. He says that's also reflected in how the ventures are staffed, with about 50% of people coming from outside the bank, including a lot of non-bankers. You can't really improvise being a bank, and so you need individuals who understand the context of financial regulations and can navigate the shareholder in that, in, in that respect, and, uh, and typically they're former bankers. And, but you also need people who are going to do things differently, question, question the, the, the business model, design things in a, in a very different way, and they're typically from a, from, 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 from a different background. Um, so, so, so that diversity is important, and I would broaden that in saying that assembling bankers, entrepreneurs, designers, and technologists, assembling that diversity of skill sets is very difficult because these people don't typically work together, but is also where the magic lies. The more successful ventures by experience are the ones that are mastering this diversity and, and, and assembling those you know, very different people. There's a similar attitude at Society Generale's SG Ventures, which is led by Group Innovation Officer Claire Kalmajan. Some of its companies have been internal startups like Forge, which helps firms manage and issue financial products on the blockchain, including the European Investment Bank, in its first blockchain-based bond issuance last year. Slightly differently from the equivalent at Standard Chartered, SG Ventures houses more externally founded companies it has bought, including banking as a service firm, Trezor and Rezocar, a website for classified car adverts. Plenty of SOCGen insiders have gone on to work at Trezor and Rezocar. But like Manson, Kamajan says the essential thing is that these ventures are ring-fenced, so they retain their dynamism and focus separately from the legacy business. She says they're also centralized in the sense that they're marked out as a priority for the group and so they can work with the legacy business. She compares the approach it needs to Borsarama, a digital bank owned by Sokgen and not part of SG Ventures. Sokgen has treated Borsarama like a startup since delisting it in 2015, allowing it to focus on growth, not profit. 
It's got an independent CEO and is based in a different part of Paris to Sokgen's head office. It's now France's biggest digital bank. This is Kalmajan talking about the new businesses that SG Ventures controls. You know, the reality is uh, we monitor that uh, with the general management and which much more close because obviously you have all the, uh, how do you harness the collaboration with the, you know, the startup corporate culture? Uh, how do you set the right HR incentives for business models that are very different? And one of the strengths of Société Générale is uh, having done it with Boursorama. Uh, you know, I often say, you know, when I go to uh, strategic committees uh, and people are saying like, yes, but it's a payment activity. So Trezor is a payment activity. So it should be part of all our payment area for traditional business. And I'm like, yes, it's the same as saying we should have put Boursorama with our traditional retail banking. <laughs> you know, it's like, I don't think it will have worked. I use this example often because... Boursorama, it's seven years of effort to grow and create a new business, which is now, you know, a core strategic part of our, uh, of Société Générale growth strategy. And, and that's really a, a powerful example. So all the venture, all the new business is much more ring fenced and centralized. Okay, so that's all for this episode. Please listen into the next one when I'll be speaking in more detail about how innovation can work inside big banks and what are the ingredients for a successful new bank-built business venture. I'll also be hearing more from Marikit Kukorom about Barclays' new venture studio program and looking at the innovation initiatives at other banks too. So thanks for listening. This has been a Euromoney podcast by Dominic O'Neill with sound editing by Stefan Inglis. <laughs>